Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface may appear to be totally ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Allie Stuhlsatz has done many amazing things with her life. She has taught high school Spanish for nine years, but when she had babies, she decided what she really wanted was to stay at home. But entrepreneurship and side hustling is actually in Allie's blood. Her grandfather was an entrepreneur. Her dad started Broncato's Catering, which is the largest catering company in Kansas City. And so it was natural for Allie to try all kinds of things after she decided to, in theory, retire from the world of paid work. Today, Allie and I are discussing what it's like to be in an entrepreneurial family, how to think like an entrepreneur and a side hustler, and how she grew as a person and what she plans to do next. Hey, Allie. Hi. Before we talk about your own business, I, I just really love to go back to people's childhoods, your secret origin story. <laughs> I, I just want to know what type of a kid you were. Yeah, uh, I was a pretty easygoing kid, pretty quiet, rule follower. I still am a rule follower. Um, a little bit smart alecky as I got older, but just a pretty good kid. I feel like my parents were strict enough, but like... I still had freedoms, and yeah, wasn't like a tough kid. <laughs> okay, okay, easy kid, rule follower, yeah. excellent grades, walked the dog, just did whatever people needed. Uh, for the most part. I'll say that since I don't think my mom is listening. <laughs> <laughs> Why, would she disagree? Well, I don't know. You know, the normal kid stuff, not doing chores and things like that. Oh, okay, pretty minor. Okay, so then high school comes along, and what were you like as a high school student? I was pretty quiet, um, maybe even a little bit insecure with myself. Um, you know, I taught, at, I taught at St. James, and I saw these kids being so outgoing, just knowing exactly who they were, and I don't think that I was like that at all in high school. I mean, I was a good kid, but um, just pretty quiet, kind of flew under the radar. Gotcha. Um more apt to sit in the back, or could you be invisible in any place in the room? Um, I was more likely to sit in the back, not raise my hand, just kind of go through the motions. Gotcha. Okay, then college comes along, and I, I believe that college changes everybody, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Did college change you? What happened in college? Totally. Um, 100%. I went to Benedictine which I always kind of joked was like my second chance at high school because it was so small um, that to where I could, you know, have, be involved and be on student council and student government and like do all these things that I probably in hindsight should have done in high school, but I was too shy. And I just like kind of discovered who I was and found a group of friends who really like loved me for who I was too. And it was just where I blossomed. Uh, I loved college. You can answer this question now or later or not at all if you don't like this question, but, but you said you sort of discovered who you were. Who are you? <laughs> the million-dollar question. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still, I'm still learning. Um, every year I get a little bit more confident in who I am. But I think I just discovered that it was okay for me to just be myself, not like things, like certain things and not like certain things. And... I didn't have to do what other people were doing. I could just do what I wanted to do and 
be confident that, you know, in who I was, as long as I was being who God created me to be, then it didn't really matter. And I don't think I discovered that until I was in college. I feel like that's a brilliant lesson for a person to learn. And I am not exactly sure when I learned that lesson, that it's totally okay to have preferences. And it's Mm -hmm. totally okay to say no to certain events or say yes to other events. And I've just really kind of found that if you're just straight up and honest with people, they tend to like you even more about Mm -hmm. things. At least that, that was my experience. And I'm just wondering if that was your experience. Totally. And I mean, I feel, like I said, I feel like I'm learning more all the time. Just the other day, my neighbor said, hey, I've got this great book. I would love for you to read it. And I just looked at her and I said, I really appreciate that you thought of me, but that book is going to sit on my nightstand for weeks and I will not read it. And I just need to own that that's just who I am right now. I am just too busy and I'm working and I'm watching my kids. And if I try and read that book, I'm going to fall asleep. But I love that you thought of me. And I felt so much freedom just like owning that. I don't have to be somebody who reads a book a day. That's that's good. That's good. Yeah, you just have to know who you are and live and be that person and not worry so much about rejection. And I just think that's a precious lesson. And I'm, I'm glad that, that it kind of sunk in. So, yeah. so, so then you started to teach. And you taught for nine years. And you taught Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I, I just would really love to hear about your experience teaching high school Spanish. Yeah. Um, I started teaching when I was just 22 years old. So I was very young. I feel like I learned a ton about myself and came into my own as like an, an adult, a grown up. Like, I don't think that I, when I started teaching, I really felt like a grown up. Um, but as I taught and as I worked with people who were, were taught me so many things and I grew into my faith and, It was just amazing to grow um, both personally and professionally. I think I gained this confidence um, that I I didn't have before, this confidence that, like, I can do anything that I want to do. I just have to do it. You know, I just have to have the will to do it. And I think that, I know we'll get to this in a minute, but the entrepreneurial spirit that was in my home as a kid um, from my family, like, it, it really set in when I started teaching because I was, I just had this confidence that I could do whatever I wanted to do. You just have to have the desire to do it. How long did it take before that really sunk in, just that confidence? Yeah, so I, like I said, I was 22 when I started, and then just two years, one or two years later, I can't remember now, but I was asked to be the department chair, and I immediately was like, having these self-sabotaging thoughts like, I can't do that. I'm just a kid. I've only been here for a couple of years. But somebody saw in me something that they they thought that I would be good in this leadership position. And it gave me just enough confidence to be like, yeah, I can do that. Somebody else believes in me enough. Why can't I believe in myself? And so I just kind of took that position and started being more of a leader, I guess you could say. And um, I think that was like the catalyst for it, honestly. It was becoming the the department chair for world languages. That sounds like just a major shot in the arm of adrenaline. I I think we're probably going to get to this maybe a little later, but we could do this now. What do you think some of the similarities between teaching and being an entrepreneur are, at least for some teachers? Uh. I think you have to own your role. 
you have to believe in your abilities enough to be able to pass that along to somebody else and make somebody else believe in your abilities. Like as a teacher, you know, when I taught Spanish, I had to go into this classroom and, you know, show my love for Spanish, show that why it's important to learn it and then teach somebody else how to do it. It was like, I had, there was a lot of like, some days there was a lot of faking it until you make it. And I feel like it, it kind of is like that when you're an entrepreneur you're like usually scrambling on the back end, but then when you present yourself to people, you're like, here I am. This is who I am. Take it or leave it. No, I'm just going to be very transparent, but like you're presenting yourself in the best way you can, even if it's sometimes not amazing, but there is a lot of faking it till you make it. I think in life in general. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think another thing that just comes to mind is that at least some teachers get to set the agenda. Uh, They're not necessarily following somebody else's directions or lesson plans. So they basically have to organize things. And then, like you said, they have to sell it to other people. They have to make it persuasive, make it charming. Um, And then they also have to, like, enforce this discipline because people sign up for these classes and think, oh, this is going to be the greatest class. I've always wanted to learn Spanish. And after about a week, just like everything else in life, it can be a real grind. I mean, there's a lot of work to it. And it's just the same with a dream job. You get this dream job of teaching, and then about a week later, you're like, this is a real grind, man. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in entrepreneurial life, I think the same way. There's just sort of a glory to being an entrepreneur, except there's also a lot of scut work that other people just maybe don't see. Right, right. Okay, so I'm going to assume that you loved teaching, that you just absolutely loved it. I did love teaching. I cried on my last day there. Well, why did you leave? I mean, nine years, you're only 31. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the plan was was and is for me to go back to teaching someday, but it just was the right decision for our family at the time. Um, We have young kids and kids that, you know, needed to be driven to preschool and just I wanted to be home with them. I had that desire in my heart. And so it just seemed like the right time to to make that decision. And there are people that have young kids and have lots of young kids and teach and work the whole time. So I'm not saying that one path is correct, but it was the right decision for my family. And I I still believe it was the right one. Oh, sure. I mean, there's there's some people who are a lot more busy than me. I mean, there was Teddy Roosevelt. When did this guy ever sleep? You know, you always <laughs> find somebody who's more busy, I yeah. suppose. So how many kids do you have? I have three. Okay. Ages? So Liliana is six. Jacob is about to turn five. And Eliza is uh, almost two, two in October. I bet they are very fun and very exciting. They are. They're very energetic and they're great. I love them so much. You know, I just, I, I want to detour into kids for just a second, if that's okay. I just got done interviewing a family with six, another family with six, and another family with seven. And everybody said it gets easier the more kids you have. And <laughs> that's I'm what born- I hear. Yeah. <laughs> So I take it that's not true for you just yet? Oh, no. I, I'm talking about if we, ha- if we were to have a, more kids. I think that through having my third was the easiest transition. Yeah, it because... It was, you know, we already had these two kids, and, and they were, you know, 
I, my first two I had back to back. So that was really difficult because I felt like I had two babies. And then we waited a little while and had our third. And I was like, man, this is so much easier. <laughs> so <laughs> Just to walk in the park at that point. <laughs> yeah, the, kid, the older kids could kind of do their own thing and I could take care of the baby. Yeah, and uh, I guess the older two probably play together and entertain each other. Oh, yeah, all the time. They're best friends. I mean, every now and then you probably have to go in and separate them before we have atomic war or something. Oh, yeah, more like every five minutes. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Okay, you have to run and be the peacekeeper, I guess. <laughs> totally. Okay, so teaching, was that kind of an unusual career choice for you because you came from a family with lots of entrepreneurs. Yeah, so I think that I, I'm going to kind of get into my family history a little bit here, yeah, please, maybe, but please do. I think that for my dad, it was just, that was what was expected for him to go into this business and take over the family business. It's not that he didn't want to do it. It was just, he just eased into that role so easily um, to help out his family and just to help these businesses run. But when it came time for me to go to school, well, first of all, going to college, you know, that was a big step for my family. My mom and my dad didn't finish, didn't finish college. In fact, my dad is now um, applying to K-State to, to finish and get his degree wow. to have that under his belt, which I'm so proud of him. Shout out to my dad. Yeah. Um, but it was, my dad was just so proud that we were going to school and that we were going to get a degree and that we were kind of forging our own paths. And he still is to this day. And I, when I got my master's, he was just beaming. So um, it was almost like a new, a new thing for my family. Um, it was never expected that I went into the family business. It was just expected that I was the best version of myself and always pushed myself and was educated. Okay. I mean, that's just, very, very cool, and I've, I've met your dad, I've not met your mom, and your dad is just awesome. He's just absolutely mm -hmm. an incredible person. And you also have a lot of brothers. Do you have any sisters? I have one brother, and he helps run the, the business. And then uh, my sisters, my one sister is five years younger than me, and she works for a consulting company. And then my other sister is in college at K-State, and she is just, like, doing all the things. Um, she is – she's just a go-getter. She's currently doing an internship at Union Station and taking, like, 15 credit hours and doing – I mean, she's just incredible. So oh she's going to, well, yeah, do a lot. So I think this entrepreneurialism is in your blood. Because you're at home mm -hmm. raising kids, and for a lot of people, that would keep a person extremely busy, and yet, either before you left teaching high school or after, you had three separate profitable side hustles going. Mm -hmm. What were they? So I uh, tutored, tutored kids in Spanish, and I actually just had somebody reach out to me yesterday about tutoring, um, and then I started this cookie business which um, I have since, you know, kind of stepped back a little bit from, but it was really fun and it was a creative outlet for me. And then um, I did work for an MLM um, selling us born books for a while. Um, and all were, all were great for the time uh, that I was doing them or still doing whenever I decide that I want to jump back in, I can. Um, but yeah, those were kind of the three main ones um, 
back in the beginning. Well, and what I really enjoyed about several of them, for example, the tutoring business was, I think you were charging anywhere from 40 to $50 an hour for one person. But then if you had two or three, then you reduced the rates, but then you increased your own hourly pay. And I, I think if you had four or five, you were charging something like $20 an hour. But for you, that came to something like 80 to $100 an hour. Right. And it actually, what people didn't know was that it was so much easier for me because I didn't have to create, it wasn't one-on-one. I could say, okay, now turn to your neighbor and talk about this. Turn to your neighbor and show them this. And it wasn't just all on me. So it actually made my life a lot easier. They enjoyed it because they got to be with their friends or, you know, whoever. And then I got paid more per hour. So it was a pretty sweet deal. Oh, 100% agree. I just, I'm going to relate this to teaching. Maybe that's a bad relation, but, you know, having four or five students in a room versus tutoring one kid, uh, it's just easier if you can have them help each other, or like you mentioned, that kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. So, and then with the cookie business, it just wound up being these really intricate, amazing cookies. Could you describe them? Yeah, so I first made these cookies for uh, for a friend's baby shower, and I mean they weren't like amazing looking, but I saw a picture on Pinterest and I was like, this might even be where my entrepreneurial spirit kind of like sparked because I was like, hey, if this person can make them, then why can't I? You know, I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna look at the recipe. I'm gonna follow the instructions. Maybe watch a couple YouTube videos. Jump in and do it. And if it doesn't turn out great, who cares? Because they're for just a friend. Not, it's not like someone's buying them. So then I started making them, and every time I made them, I wanted to try something different and try a new technique and do something a little more unique. Um, and they're called they're decorated sugar cookies, but you do it with royal icing. So for those of you who don't know what royal icing is, it's like flat on the top. Um, it dry, dries kind of hard. Um, but yeah, they were really fun. Can you describe a simple cookie and then describe a super complicated, intricate cookie? Um, yeah, so a simple cookie would be like, let's say you have a heart and you just go around the outside of the heart, outline it, and then flood it in the middle with like one solid color. And then if you want it, while it's wet, you could drip another color into it. And then it would create one like flat cookie. It's called wet on wet technique. Um, Super simple. Um, And then like a harder cookie that I did one time, gosh, there are several. One time I did like a horse's head, but it had like flowers on it and the mane and the face and everything. One time I did a shark that had all the little teeth and the tongue and two colors of gray and the black inside the mouth. And you don't really think when you're looking at a cookie, you see these tiny little white teeth, but, and it's like no big deal, but I have to make that bag of icing and I have to, you know, or the red tongue that's so, so tiny, but I have to color the icing red to make that tiny little tongue. So it's a lot of effort. But it's fun. Yeah, about five, six colors in there, and then just all these distinct things like teeth and tongue Mm -hmm. and fins and, you know, who knows what else. Yes, and not to mention the different consistencies of the icing. Some of them are thinner, some of them are thicker, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. So it's it's kind of an art. Oh, I thought so. And just whenever I've shown your cookies to other people, they're just dazzled. 
just absolutely oh, dazzled. Yes. And, and people just think, well, a lot of people think there's no way I could do something that artistic. But then there's always one or two who think, you know, I really should try this. I should give this a try. Mm-hmm. So let me ask, with each of these three businesses, what did you like and what did you dislike about each one? Um, so with tutoring, um, I really liked being able to share, you know, my love of Spanish. I was, I obviously, I really enjoy Spanish or I wouldn't have taught it. Um, I didn't love having to come up with an hour's worth of activities and work for one kid. It's kind of a lot to sit there at a table and work for an hour on Spanish straight. You know, at least in a classroom, you can get up and do a brain break and do an activity and, you know, sing a song in Spanish. Well, when you're at the library tutoring a kid, it's a little bit harder. You know, it's a lot of worksheets and a lot of books. And we did watch some videos, but, you know, when a kid is moving from Spanish, just wants help with Spanish one, it's a lot of just reviewing and damage control and worksheets. So that was kind of tough. Um, With the MLM, the the Usborne books, I loved the books. Like I actually really believed in the product and still do. They're the best quality books I've ever owned. My kids still read them to this day. And that's why, honestly, I jumped into the business is because I wanted to get a free, I wanted to get a cheaper book collection for my own home library. Um, I hated asking people to buy stuff from me. And I still do. I, it's just not something I enjoy doing. I don't want people to feel pressured. I don't want to ask my friends and family to buy my products. Um, and then, what's the third one? Oh, cookies. Cookies. <laughs> cookies. I, I love having the creative outlet. I love when people come to pick up their cookies and they're like blown away by how, you know, they think they're so beautiful and they send me pictures from their party. Look at look at the cookies at the party on, on the table with all the food. Everyone loved them. They were a hit. I can't tell you how many text messages I've gotten that says the cookies were such a hit. Um, that's so fun. I did not like um, how messy it makes my kitchen because it, it honestly it puts a lot of stress on my family because I'm yelling at my kids to stay out of the kitchen. Don't come near my cookies. Don't mess with the cookie. You know, that's all. it's just a lot. And then our, our house is kind of a mess when I make them. And then there's a lot of late nights decorating by myself in the kitchen. So. Yeah. I mean, these are all potentially a lot of work, but then also just the rewards can just be pretty fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Well, before we move on to your current endeavor, I just want to ask, I know in your family of origin, there's always kind of discussions as to how to make things more precise. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always kind of this question, should I sell the products that pay the most? You know, should I do the service that pays the most? Uh, should I figure out a way to optimize advertising? Those type of things. I guess it's kind of like the efforts versus passion question. You know, like, do I go into the profession or the entrepreneurial activity that pays the most and that's the most efficient? Or do I go into the thing that I love? And and I'm just kind of wondering, what has been your thought process in your life so far about this? The follow your passion idea versus the follow your effort idea. Yeah, it's a tricky balance because you have to ask. It's different for everybody because you have to ask yourself how much do you need cash flow right now? Like, is someone depending on you for this income? And if that's the case, then you probably should go with what is going to pay the most, even if it doesn't make you 
the happiest. And then once you build up, you know, your business or whatever, then transition into something that makes you a little bit happier. But you have to make responsible choices is what I'm saying, I guess. But at the time when I started these little side hustles, um, it didn't necessarily, it wasn't dependent on this income. And so it was kind of, I just was like asking myself, is this fun? Am I making any money off of it? How much do I enjoy it versus how much I'm making? Because cookies, you know, for the amount of hours I spent on them, I wasn't making all that much money, but I really enjoyed it. And it was a creative outlet. So I kept doing it and I still do make them every now and then. And it's really fun. So, um, that's why I kept doing that. And, you know, tutoring is probably the biggest moneymaker per hour, but it was really difficult to, to come up with the activities and to be outside my house and away from my family. And so, so yeah, I don't know if I'll ever find the perfect balance. I'm still struggling with it today, but you definitely have to ask yourself those questions because you have to enjoy what you're doing or you'll resent the work you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? I think that's just kind of a good, uh, just a good philosophical thing for people to consider. Do I do what I love or do I do what pays the bills? And when can I afford to maybe verge more on the do what I love side? And, and, and thank mm-hmm. you. That was just really enlightening. Um, then you did something that just absolutely surprised me. <laughs> I, I guess I'd gotten used to thinking of you as this side hustler with three separate side hustles. And now you've dropped all three of them and you're doing something else completely different. What is this new thing? Yeah, so now I run my own business. Um, I do virtual assisting. I do social media management, do a little bit of marketing um, for various clients. I freelance. Okay, how did you get into this? So Michaela Quinn, Um, she used to work with me at St. James and she started, uh, she started a course where she helps women or I guess, yeah, she helps women start their own freelancing business from home. It's really, it's designed for people exactly like me, people who want to be home with their kids, but they want, they need to bring in some extra income. And, um, it sounded super appealing. I knew Michaela and I know that she's like, uh, a really honest person, a really kind person. I trust her. And so when she, uh, when I got this, you know, in front of my face, whether it was on social media or wherever, I, I just wanted to know more about it. And so I started listening to her podcast, um, which is free. So if you are interested at all, you should hop on there and just give a listen because you don't have to pay anything. You just go listen to her podcast. And, um, I just got hooked. I started listening to her talk to these other women and other business owners, and I was just totally, totally hooked. And I came home and I and I would talk, tell my husband about the podcast, and he actually started listening while he was in between because he drives around a lot during the day. He started listening to her podcast so that we could talk about it. And one day, I just said, "Look, I'm doing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna take her course." So um, we figured out. It, how to do it financially, and I bought the course and started my own business, and boom, like that's where I am today. Well, and she has done very well for herself. Um, it's called the Live Free Podcast with Michaela Quinn, and she has well over 100 episodes at this point, 
and I believe her course last time I checked was selling for $997 to take the class. So are, are there phases to Michaela Quinn? Or is there like a phase one, phase two, phase three when you take the class? Um, so it really kind of, the journey kind of starts before you take the class, I feel like, because she has these free resources for people who just want to know more. The Live Free podcast, she has a Facebook group. Um, I think it's called Live, Live Free also. And then if you decide to take her course, she gives you all these different modules and walks you through how to start your own business from start to finish. I mean, like everything you need to know, how to get your, register your business, how to pay taxes, how to design a portfolio. I mean, just like everything from beginning, the beginning. Um, and it's really up to you how long it takes you to work through the course. And uh, yeah, so she, I wouldn't say they're different levels necessarily, but yeah, different modules that will walk you through it. Gotcha. And what, what are your ultimate hopes? So I don't know. Honestly, my husband and I talk about this all the time because, well, A, it's important to always revisit your goals, which I'm really bad at, but we're, I'm trying to be better. Um, I think that my goal is just to, well, I have like a financial number, like a number that I want to hit as far as income goals, but then as, as far as like just learning and professional goals, you know, there are some courses that I want to take. I, I aspire to one day be an OBM an online business manager. Um, and you have to get a certification for that. Um, but right now it's just, I'm enjoying like learning new skills and like, which is wowing my clients with, what I wouldn't, I, I feel like I'm faking it till I make it. I, I like produce these things for my clients and I'm like, I don't know, I've never done this before, but then I give it to them and they're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And it just gives me this confidence. Like anybody can do it. You just have to sit down and try. Okay. Um, yeah. You just have to make consistent efforts. Is this something that you schedule every day that I put in an hour on this every day? I put in two hours on this every day. I guess I'm kind of, thinking about your work habits just a little bit. Yeah. And again, something that I revisit with my husband a lot because, you know, the more clients you take on, the more time you have to set aside to work on things. And it's beginning to be a little bit of a struggle with the hours that I'm working right now. Um, but you can always carve out more time. I can get up an hour earlier. I just value my sleep so much. So <laughs> it'll be a sacrifice. But my kids still nap from you know, one to three, let's say. So I, I really set aside that time for work. Um, my husband is super supportive. So if he gets home from work at like, let's say four and I say, Hey, I didn't get my work done. I really need your help. He's like, got it. Go work, you know, do your thing. And I'll find a quiet space in my house and go get some work done. So we make it work. Um, but it's all about, balance like I sometimes I need to just shut off and go spend time with my family and I think every single one of my clients would want me to do that you know yeah because maybe they're in a similar situation maybe you're helping people who have families of their own and they just want you to be happy and then they will be happy maybe it just all works in a grand synchronicity yeah and you have to find clients to work with that are a good personality fit. And I just happen to work with people that really understand 
that I'm a working mom and that my, my number one job is to be a mom to my kids during the day. And when I sit down to work in my working hours, I will, I will complete this task for you. But you know, my clients are really respectful of that. If I reach out to them on a Sunday or they reach out to me, they're like, I'm so sorry, like go spend time with your family. So it's really important to find clients that are a good personality fit. So where are you with it right now? Like how many clients do you have? What do you do for them? Uh, I probably have like six clients. Um, and I, it's different for everybody, honestly. You know, Michaela, I would say the next step, if you if you would call it that, the next step for me would be to, I never pronounce this right, is it niche or niche. niche? Well, it's both, actually. It's like Caribbean and Caribbean. Okay. <laughs> you need to niche down, niche down, um, and really, like, hone in on probably one or two skills. But I, I kind of offer a variety right now. So I'm a virtual assistant for a few of my clients. I do social media for a couple clients. And then I, for one client, she really has me do everything related to marketing for her, which I never really thought that I would get into, but here we are. So, um, just lots of different tasks. Um, I, I work for a photographer, a couple of photographers, and I help them with blogs and gallery transfers and timelines for wedding days and I mean, you name it. I've even taken on some personal assistant type tasks for a couple of clients, you know, helping somebody move their business from one state to another or figure out how to get uh, a driver's license in their, in their state or, you know, what just random tasks, but I enjoy it. That's pretty cool. So if you have six clients right now, what, what's a likely next stage? It's to niche down, as you say, is it also to have more clients or is it to have maybe fewer clients who pay more, what's, what's the next stage? Yeah, so one of my clients has actually been kind of coaching me for free. He's built this amazing photography business. He has a huge social media following, um, and he's just, like, accidentally started coaching me one day, which is so sweet. But anyway, he was like, you really need to raise your prices and reach out to the people that you really want to be working with. So I really enjoy working with the photographer, photographers. Um, not to say I don't enjoy the other part of it, but I think moving forward, I might go that direction. And he's just been kind of coaching me through how to do that and telling me that if I raise my rates, the people that, that have hired me that I work with now, they, they should, you know, they would probably be okay with paying a higher rate. Cause I told him that I feel bad because these people that took a chance on me, Sorry. these people that you're good. These people took a chance on me, the people that I work with now. They're, they're friends, they're family friends, they're people that are like, hey, I'm going to throw you a bone. And so I feel bad raising my rates for these people. But every, Michaela says it, this guy that's coaching me says it, he says, if these people are your friends, they will understand that you have to grow your business and you have to do what's best for your business and your family. So I think that's probably the next step is raising my rates a little bit and then moving forward, raising my rates and kind of niching down my services. Well, let, let me ask just a little bit about raising rates. Now, I, I've never had to raise rates on anybody. I'm not doing anything where I would raise rates. I'm just an employee. <laughs> but this is kind of what I've heard from other people, that if you start getting busier, like instead of having six clients, if you have seven, eight, nine, and you're like really crunched for time, that's the market telling you to raise your rates. 
-hmm. you know, or if your skills go up and then you find out that other people doing similar things are charging more, then that's kind of a sign that you're supposed to raise your rates. Mm -hmm. uh, have these type of thoughts bounced around in your mind? Yes, definitely. Um, as I realized that people kind of wanted me to help with their marketing and social media, I feel like those tasks are a little bit more involved than just like typing up this timeline or doing these VA tasks. And that's what Michaela says in her course too, you know, these VA is probably where you start and then you kind of move on to other services. But I decided to kind of package my social media offers and raise the prices on those because I think that if people want you to do social media for them, that's kind of a big, that's a big job. And so they would probably be willing to pay more for it. So I started doing that and I have had people tell me that, it, that my prices are just too much, but I also like have had people who are interested in paying those. So you just find if, if people aren't willing to pay them, then they should find somebody else who doesn't have as much experience or whatever. Absolutely. Um, Michaela herself has some very grand ambitions. I mean, she will just set these crazy goals for herself, like make $100,000 a month. And then it seems like she starts to get very close to that kind of thing. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she's got 20 different people working for her just because she doesn't necessarily want to work more than 20 hours a week. So the minute she has a chance to offload something, she basically does. So I, I just think for her, like the goal is probably the sky is the limit, uh, maybe the moon. And I'm just kind of wondering in, in your case, do you, do you know ultimately, or do you have like a vague, a vague, I remember you saying like you're discussing it, but do you have kind of a vague idea of where you'd like to take it? Yeah. So I think that my goal right now is to just kind of stay as a VA maybe some social media, raise my prices a little bit, but kind of, I, I don't want to say like float along, like be stagnant because that's never a good thing, but um, maybe just like take a course or two. But I think that my big goal would be to be an OBM. And I don't think that I'll be ready to do that until my kids are a little bit older and in school a little bit more full time. So that's kind of what my husband and I have talked about. Like, stay, stay as a VA, as a social media, you know, have your Instagram packages or whatever, but then um, take the OBM certification and do that when, they, when I have more time. Well, that's, that seems pretty well thought out. That's several years ahead. I, I'm pretty yeah. impressed. Well, I'd, I'd like for you to give people a little bit of advice. Um, suppose somebody like you wants to be a stay-at-home mom or, well, who knows, maybe a stay-at-home dad. What would you advise? Um, in regards to like leaving your job or starting freelancing job or yeah, like uh, I'm I'm working forty hours a week, but maybe I want to cut that down to somewhere between zero and ten. It could be yeah, any of those things. It could be make more money, uh, spend less hours. I I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think that. I mean, if I can do, if I can start a business, anybody can. So I think that if you want to make more money doing something, then go do it. Like people are looking for services. People are looking for um, like tangible items to buy. I mean, people are, people will probably buy your product or what you have to offer. You just have to have the desire to go do it. I have, um, I have friends that are like, oh gosh, I could never do what you do. Well, sure you could. 
you just don't want to. And that's totally fine. Um, you want to do something else, something different than what I do. That's great. But if you want to um, go down, you know, cut your hours down, if you want to be part-time at your job, or if you're just looking for a way to earn extra money, just think of something that you might enjoy doing and try it. You know, being your own boss is pretty cool because you can change it anytime you want. If I want to turn away a cookie order, I turn away a cookie order and say, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not able to take your order at this time. If I meet with a, a potential client and they're not necessarily a good personality fit, I just say, I'm sorry, like I, I can direct you. I, I won't be able to, you know, work with you, but I can direct you to other women who I know would be happy to, or you're welcome to apply here or whatever. I haven't really had to do that yet, but I'm just saying you have control. You don't have to work with people you don't want to work with. You don't have to do a job that you don't want to do. Just be in control of your life. Okay. I think that's really good. Um, what are the traits of an entrepreneur? I think an entrepreneur is somebody who's not scared to take some risks. Just try it out. See if it's a good fit. If it's not a good fit, then go change it. Um, so you have to take a little bit of risk. Um, you have to be willing to learn and you have to be willing to make mistakes. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say you have to be willing, ready and willing to learn. Yeah. For sure. I, I was just chatting yesterday with somebody who does a lot of crazy experiments and what we kind of hit upon, or at least what he's kind of hit upon is a lot of the same things. You have to be willing to take risks and you really have to overcome this whole fear of failure. You, you have to say that the real failure is to not try. That if you try something for a year, every day for a year, and if you quote unquote fail, it's really not a failure because your head is still in the game, you're still trying. Um, so yeah, I could tell you stories about that, but let me instead just ask, um, where should people go to get their ideas? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think looking within yourself is the first place to start. You know, you probably have really good ideas right now, but you just haven't really explored them or the minute you started to explore them, you had this imposter, what we call imposter syndrome, mm. kind of creep in and you tell yourself it's not good enough. But that's not true. It, every, every, every thing that exists started from an idea. So um, you just got to go for it. Uh, bounce ideas off other people who are smart and who have been in the business for a while or who just you trust to give you feedback. Um, I'm always asking for people to give me feedback. Usually my husband and my friends and my family, but you know, there are people, you know, professional people I could reach out to as well. Some of my clients, we've built these relationships and I ask them for feedback. So I think it's, it's just good to get feedback and to listen and to make changes. Um, yeah. I feel like I strayed from your question. No, no, I, I don't think you did at all. Um, because okay. that's part of getting an idea is also getting some good, legitimate feedback from people. So let me ask, do you think people have to be all that creative to start a side hustle? Do, do I have to come up with something brand new or can I just copy other people's ideas? Um, I think that you can copy other people's ideas to an extent, but you have to make it your own. And this is actually something I learned from talking with you a couple of years ago about 
you'll have to correct me, but it's either you have to be the best, have the best of one thing, or you have to be good at like mass producing that one thing. How, what was your, what, oh, how did you phrase okay. it? I, this is the whole zig versus zag idea. There's this marketing book called Zag and uh, it just was a gigantic seller. And the idea is you can be the best like Michael Jordan, that's zig, but that's really hard to do. It's really hard to be number one. It's hard to beat up Michael Jordan or even zag. You could be the first in a brand new category, and so then that automatically makes you number one. Like Coca-Cola is a zig, nothing's bigger than Coca-Cola in the Drake space, but if I come up with a brand new flavor of soda that nobody's had before, like I don't know, chocolate mixed with cinnamon, mixed with vanilla, mixed with something, and it's brand new, well then I'm first in a brand new category. So then I can stand out. So you got the zig and you got the zag. Yeah, and like with my cookie business, because we when we talked about this, this is kind of what we were relating it to, I was not going to get to the point where I was going to mass produce those cookies unless I hired a team to help me. So that was one route I could have gone. Or I could create these beautiful works of art and just increase my prices a lot because what I was giving was this was unique. It was different than what other people were doing maybe. So those were kind of the two paths I could have gone. Okay. Um, What are your thoughts on debt, emergency funds, cash reserves, that kind of thing? Um, Well, I think my dad, I think, really instilled in me, like, the value of a dollar um, from the time I was a kid and my grandpa, too. And so I just feel like... And, and then, you know, I listen to Dave Ramsey, and I, I do appreciate a lot of what he has to say, too. But I just don't, I don't like being in debt. I don't like owing uh, people second, money sorry. at all. Sorry, just a second. Go ahead. Okay. I can move. Mike Medina sent me here, but I can move. So, yeah. No, I, I can move. I can move. Okay. All right. Allie, uh, it's going to take me about three minutes to walk down the hall, then we can keep going. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. I got interrupted. Hi, everybody. Yeah, Mike Medina sent me here. Yeah. And now Shane's sitting me away. That's quite all right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have a good parent meeting. Allie says hi. Allie? Yeah. Say hi to Allie. What's up? Hi. And here's Debbie. Hi, Debbie. And they're doing a good job of social distancing. We're all six inches apart. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm walking down the hall right now. Okay. So they got rules, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're like, hey, use the boardroom because they're fumigating the place or something. But I don't know. They don't always fumigate it. So, anyway, just every time I'm here, nothing's changed. But that's totally cool. I'm, I'm okay with all that. All right, I'm going to find a light switch here any second now, Ellie. Uh, let's see. Where did we leave off? I don't even remember my question right now. Oh, I think I got something. Um, you Was had it? asked me about debt. Yeah, okay, so I'll just start over with that. Um, so what are your thoughts on debt, emergency funds, and cash reserves? So I think that my family really kind of instilled in me the value of a dollar and and working hard to 
earn money and you know it's that entrepreneurial spirit but I think that we didn't have a lot a ton of money when I was a kid and so I just feel like my family really taught me how to value value that value money you know and not be wasteful and so as far I don't like being in debt my you know my parents my dad always told me that too like you don't want to owe, owe money on things and so I feel like that's just kind of been instilled in me. So I don't like to take out loans. I don't like to use credit cards. I don't like to, I just don't like to owe money. I like to save up and, and only spend from what I have. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it's, I do think it's important to have reserves and to have like emergency fund, like Dave Ramsey talks about, um, but just to save for the things that you want to buy. And my, this friend of mine that's been kind of coaching me has been talking to me about like, where, where, how am I setting my business goals? Where am I getting that dollar amount that I want to earn? Is that just pulled out of nowhere or do I want to earn that dollar amount? Because doing that would open, open the door for me to do A, B, and C. Maybe it's take a family vacation. Maybe it's pay off some student loans or maybe it's like buy a new car, whatever it is. Like, am I, do I have a place for this money to go when I do reach that goal or am I pulling this goal out of nowhere? Short answer is I'm pulling it out of nowhere, and I need to change that. <laughs> no, I, you know, that's something I just need to emphasize more to, I think, my students and to myself, actually. It's just the whole concept of the number. You know, the number for a lot of people is, well, if you make that much, then you can quit. You don't have to quit, but you can quit. You've achieved financial independence. That's the whole idea of financial independence, retire early. You know, mm-hmm. for example, if I've got, oh, just you know, making something up a million dollars in investments. And mm-hmm. if I withdraw 4% every single year, that million will pretty much always replenish itself. That's been proven over the whole 20th century. You know, so for a lot of people, maybe a number like that, hey, if you could live on $40,000 a year and you've got that million sitting there, then maybe that's your number, you know. Mm-hmm. Or if you're more confident in the market, if you look at, I don't know, say index funds and they return 9.5% per year, since the 1890s, if you're thinking, well, I can, I can kind of rely on 9.5% per year, then maybe your number is really more like, I don't know, a quarter of a million, because then every year it tosses off so much money. And if you can live on that, then maybe you're good to go. But Mm -hmm. just, just the whole concept of figuring out, well, what is that number? If I hit like a half a million, am I done? If I hit like two thirds of a million, am I done? See, then we don't have to just keep working and working and working and working. Right. And I think that's something that I actually haven't learned has not really been instilled in me because, you know, I look at my dad and my brother and the businesses that my grandpa and my uncle and my dad, they all built. It's like, it's bigger and bigger and better. And what are new ideas and how can we do this? Like, I don't think my dad's ever going to retire because he just, I think he's good at what he does. And my mom would love for him to retire, but he just, I don't know. He just works. That's just who he is. And anyway, I just don't think that that I've ever learned that. And it would be good to talk to somebody and just to talk to somebody who could teach me about that and teach me how to set these numbers and set these goals. And what does it mean to put this much in retirement? And I don't know if I think you need to be willing to say, well, I don't, I don't know that. Let me talk to somebody who does. Let me talk to somebody who's smarter in that field. I think there's a lot of really smart people out there making just 
bucket loads of money, but they've never really thought about that number. And okay. that's just a good thing to kind of think about. And, and your dad, I just want to give a big shout out to your dad. I just think he's an artist. And there's just a lot of artists who never, ever, ever want to retire. You know, mm-hmm. last time I checked, I think Paul McCartney is 78 years old. And the man is still making music, still making albums. <laughs> My dad's idol. Yeah. My dad and he, loves and him. he branched out. I mean, the man has done operas and orchestrational right. compositions and things like he he's definitely branched out i don't think people like michelangelo ever retired and your, your dad is an artist with what he does so yeah so, and yeah. if you really enjoy like my dad's business that's his that's his baby he built it from the ground up and it's hard to let go of that when it's been your life for so long and you care about it so much so i totally understand that too and he has, he's taken a lot of time to relax and to, just to lay low. So we call him semi-retired, huh. even though he's, he's not, he still works a lot. <laughs> just so that he can, yeah, just maybe he works when he wants to. It's just that he wants to work all the time. Yeah. But work for him is like, I think he really enjoys it. So it's good. You know, I, I think, uh, I'm just going to be a, what I, I hope is a good compliment that I, I just think that you always strike a nice balance between doing and learning. Do you, do you have any advice for people in terms of learning versus doing, or maybe it's learning and doing? Um, yeah, I think it's both. And, um, I think it's important to always be learning. I mean, everything that you need, most, almost everything that you need is available on the internet. I don't know if that like downplays my job and what I do, but like a lot of what I've learned, I've just looked it up online and taught myself how to do it. And so there's so many smart people that put things out there for, for you to, to take and use. So I, I think it's important. Yes. I don't know if I have the perfect balance, but I'm, I'm a researcher. I love getting online and just seeing what's out there and learning how to do things. I think you're a really nice balance because you're also a doer. You had those three side hustles and then you jumped into Michaela's course and then you already have six clients. So I I definitely think that you're a doer, but it's also obvious that you're a learner as well. And so I I think that would be good advice for people. Hey, do both. Like don't just learn forever and never do anything and don't just do forever, but never upgrade your skills. So I I feel like you're doing a great, great job. Um, Allie, what, what advice should I have asked you to give or just what else you wish that I would have asked? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if I wish you would have asked this, but I think it's important to say that you have to have a good support system too, to kind of to go back to your question to somebody who is looking to go part-time or to stay home. What, what advice do I have for them? You have to have a good support system. I wouldn't be able to do anything that I've done if it weren't for my husband and my family who like pick up the slack when I need them to pick up the slack. And, um, that's really important. So. So if you don't have a good support system, then I guess back up and figure out how to get one. Exactly. Yeah. You have to be able to depend on some people to help you out. People who love you. Like maybe it's, ask your mom to watch your kids once a week, or maybe it's your husband who's going to take on cooking dinners for a little while or do the laundry. Um, and like what a gift that is to be able to 
to take that off of your off of your plate so that you can have some time to do to invest in your business. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I only have two more questions. And uh, my first one is, is there a book or a podcast or another resource that you would point people toward to get started? Well, as I told you, I'm not really a book person. I wish I was. I have a thousand on my shelf that I've never read. <laughs> um, but I do like podcasts. And I, I another shout out for Michaela's The Live Free podcast. Um, there are lots of podcasts that I like to listen to just to kind of hone in on skills, like the simple pen media podcast to learn how to do Pinterest. Um, I like the gold digger podcast, um, with Jenna Kutcher. She's great. And she's really easy to listen to. Um, I don't know. There are tons of them. Um, it, it's almost overwhelming. It's almost better if you ha- hear somebody recommend a podcast than to just go searching for one mm. because it's like there's so many out there and so many on the same topic. So I don't have a ton. Um, but yeah, I, there are tons of Facebook groups that you can be a part of. I know Facebook seems kind of antiquated, especially to like the high schooler that might be listening to this right now. But when you're an entrepreneur or you're a business owner, Facebook is kind of still where it's at. So um, I would recommend getting on there to connect professionally with people. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a lot. Sorry. No, no, that was very good. Okay, I guess my last question is this. It's kind of my favorite question. So let's just fast forward and you are now 100 years old. And you are sitting on the porch with your husband and he is holding your hand and uh, you're just having a very, very good time. And you are surrounded by children and grandchildren and maybe great grandchildren. And somebody asks you, what was wonderful about your life so far, grandma? What do you say? I would say this. I would say, look at what I built with my husband. Like... Family is the number one thing. I think you always need to be asking when you're talking about professionally, what should you be doing? It always has to go back to like, what what do you value the most? And what I value the most is my family. And I think a lot of people would feel the same, but is what I'm doing, what decisions I'm making best for my family? Because at the end of the, at the end of my life, when I look back, that's what's most important is the people that I loved and the experiences we had together and the memories we made and the legacy that I'm leaving. Do they look to me as somebody who is a woman of faith, who loves God, who lives out her faith, who challenges herself, who is smart, who uh, is wise? You know, those are the more important things than how much money I made. Absolutely. Allie, that was just simply beautiful, and I've just had a really great time interviewing you, and I hope that we can do this again. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. I'll be back in two days. (laughs) 